evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming on a rather chilly evening. I'm Rachel Rounds, the Head of Media and Communications at Bible Society. And on behalf of Bible Society, welcome to this evening's event. And thank you very much to Gary Streeter MP and Christians in Parliament All Party Group for kindly hosting this panel discussion with us. Before we begin, I have some hot-off-the-press news for you. <coughs> Apparently, Downing Street have heard about the debate tonight, and they are quaking in their boots. I've just had an email from the Professor of Theological Ethics at Chester University to be told, we are delighted to report that after extensive lobbying, the DFE has reinstated bursaries for RE PGCE and increase the number of bursaries available to 817. So that was pretty impressive actually for a debate that hasn't even started yet. <laughs> <laughs> On to the more serious issues. Um, at Bible Society we're keen to understand the role that schools can play in dispelling ignorance around the complex issue of religion. But what matters most to us is finding what place the Bible can have in promoting greater understanding and cohesion along with other sacred texts in a diverse society. Back in February this year, Bible Society launched its Pass It On campaign. It came off the back of a comprehensive research report which examined the current reading habits and preferences of parents and children and what they really thought about the Bible and what kind of role, if any, it played within the 21st century society. The results showed that, for example, more than 40% of parents felt it was important for children to have read, heard or seen Bible stories because they provide good values for life. And almost as many saw the Bible as part of our history and our culture. But the poll also revealed that one in three secondary school pupils did not realise the nativity was from the Bible. In the light of this, we have con conducted another poll which is being released as part of tonight's debate. It says a quarter of teachers think more teaching of the Bible and other sacred texts in the curriculum would improve community cohesion. Whilst that is reaffirming for many of us, less than half of teachers said they were confident about teaching sacred texts, including one in ten RE teachers. So as the government is currently consulting on new criteria for the teaching of religious studies in schools, what better time to debate the role of sacred texts, what they should and could play in our schools. So could you join me in welcoming our panellists and Chair Fiona Bruce MP, the MP for Congleton in Cheshire, and also Vice Chair of the All-Party All Parliamentary Group on Religious Education. Thank you. Thank you very much for that welcome and good evening everyone, a uh, particular welcome to my parliamentary colleagues who are here this evening and uh, you have a, a stellar panel here tonight um, and uh, I know we're going to have a, a really stimulating discussion. Um, I'm going to introduce the panel in a moment and then I'm going to uh, use Chairman's prerogative and put three sets of questions to the panel which uh, they will speak to, um, which will take up probably about the first half hour or so of our evening, and then we'll throw the uh, rest of the evening open to questions from yourselves, with a view to finishing at about 8.30, 8.40, uh, depending on uh, how lively the discussion is, and then there are some um, refreshments afterwards uh, for you all. Um, so, without more ado, can I introduce, from my left here, at the far left, 
Nigel Steele. Nigel Steele has over 30 years of teaching experience, having worked in the independent sector as well as in the maintained sector in both community and church-aided schools. Uh, until recently, he was the head teacher of the School of the Lion, a Christian independent school in Gloucester, uh, which used the accelerated Christian education curriculum rather than the UK's national curriculum. Uh, and uh, ACE is best known for its biblical values, individualised approach and emphasis on wisdom and character. And over the last 20 years, Nigel has worked uh, with Christian Education Europe as part of a team that has developed the International Certificate of Christian Education. He is uh, actively involved with the Christian Schools Trust and with Diamond Brooks, a Bible-based reading, reading project. Um, I will ask you to put your hands together to welcome the whole panel after I've um, done the introductions. Then to my left here, Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence. Um, Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence is Senior Rabbi at Finchley United Synagogue in London. He recently served as Chief Minister of the Great Synagogue Sydney, 2005 to 2014. Uh, so you've come back. I've come back. You've come back. Welcome. He's a, a qualified disaster relief chaplain, active in interfaith dialogue at national and international levels, and has an MA in jurisprudence from St Catherine's College, Oxford University. He's, uh, he qualified as a rabbi in Jerusalem, has a background in both formal and informal education, was National Executive Director of Association of Jewish Six Formers uh, for many years, and Research Assistant to Chief Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Sachs for his 1990 Wreath Lectures. He's previously served as Deputy Head of Jewish Studies at Carmel College and on the Education Committee of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. Adrian Hilton, to my right, is a conservative academic, theologian, author and educationalist. He's presently based in the Department of Education at Oxford University, researching into the legal and historical development and political philosophy of free schools. He was head of politics and philosophy at a grammar school for 10 years, uh, where he was assistant principal with responsibility, responsibility for whole school learning and teaching, and also an advisor in education to Michael Gove when he was shadow secretary of state. He's been a parliamentary candidate and written on matters relating to politics, religion, arts, culture and education for a number of national periodicals. Richie Thompson, uh, on my second right, is the Education Campaigns Officer at the British Humanist Association. And while the BHA doesn't believe that state schools should teach faith-based religious education, it also recognises the importance of young people understanding religions, non-religious worldviews and their place in society and so works in favour of broad and balanced RE that sees every child learn about the principal religions and non-religious beliefs as well. Rigi is the Humanist Representative and Vice Chair of Lambeth Sacre and a representative of the BHA to the RE Council. He graduated from the Oxford, University of Oxford, I told you they were bright, <laughs> in 2010 with a Master's in Computer Science and is former president of the National Federation of Atheist, Humanist and Secular Student Studies. Richard, you're very welcome. And finally, uh, Dr. Farid Panjwani. I hope I've got that yes. roughly correct, uh, Barry. Thank you. He is the director of the Centre for Research and Evaluation in Muslim Education, Institute of Education, University of London, and he received his doctorate from the University of Oxford in philosophy of education, investigating the role of faith schools in liberal democracies. 
With a background in education, international development and Islamic studies, Dr. Prem Sharmi is particularly interested in issues of religion and modernity, religious and citizenship education, and the need for social cohesion in contemporary multicultural societies. He has worked and advised on several projects at national and international level, dealing with the teaching and learning of Muslim cultures at school and higher educational levels. Would you put your hands together, please, for our panel? Thank you. And so now turning to um, the uh, questions which our panel is going to address. And uh, the, the first question relates to cohesion, uh, community cohesion. Recent research conducted by the Bible Society in conjunction with YouGov showed that just over one in four teachers say more sacred texts in the classroom would improve community cohesion. Furthermore, two in five teachers think it would improve the cross-cultural understanding of their students with minority groups, while three in four teachers think the education system has more of a role to play in addressing the challenges of inter-religious and ethnic strife at home and abroad. And so my question to the panel, and I'm going to take them uh, from uh, my left uh, across the, the table uh, to answer in two or three minutes each, is this. In your view, what is the value, if any, of teaching religious texts in schools? Nigel. Thank you. My experience is in the uh, Christian schools, at the independent sector of Christian schools, um, where we've cherished the freedom to uh, have the Bible as the, providing the framework for the whole education uh, of the school, uh, where the Bible has uh, shaped the curriculum, uh, it's determined the worldview or the perspective uh, for looking at everything within the life of the school. So for us, uh, within the sector I've been working in, the Bible is, uh, as a text is uh, all-defining. And uh, our experience has been um, that as we've taught young people in biblical values, we've seen them enabled to, to relate to others in society, um, particularly as they become adults. Uh, the, as they've learned the values through, through uh, an emphasis on the Bible, uh, values of respect, honour, forgiveness, compassion, consideration, deference, hospitality, um, through, um, through the stories of the Bible, the accounts of Jesus' life, his care for the outcast and the stranger, um, through the teaching of the Bible as a, as a sacred text, uh, that we've very much... Uh, built the school around really, it's been the framework, it's been uh, the determining view. Um, my experience um, at the outcome of this approach in the Christian schools I know is, is young people that care for others and can relate to people of all ages and different backgrounds. Uh, many of our students have gone on to be involved in voluntary work, living alongside people in different cultures uh, from different faith communities. So. Um, where some may look at it and think, well, you're just focusing on one text, and we would look at other texts as well. Uh, we, we would unashamedly say we, we base the curriculum around the Bible uh, because that's the, um, the basis of our education as Christian educators. Uh, we would say that the, the results have been, um, haven't been uh, the product young people that come out intolerant or self-centered, uh, but young people who who care for others, who are able to relate to people from different communities. And uh, you may know of research uh, that's being done by Professor Leslie Francis and 
Dr. Sylvia Baker that, that bears out this point, um, which, um, sorry, um, which shows that the, the contention that faith schools make a negative contribution to a pluralistic society, the research shows that uh, rather the, the reverse. The independent Christian schools, although they promote a conservative and vigorous form of Christianity, uh, it seems that the stronger the Christian position taken by the school, the less likely it is to produce racist and intolerant pupils. This, this is um, some research that's been done recently, and which sort of goes along with my own personal experience. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Jeremy? So, it's very difficult to reduce the Bible into... Um, into simple and core concepts. So from a Jewish perspective, there are 613 commandments within the Bible, and certainly I believe in not just the written revelation, but the oral one. So when I'm talking about the Bible, I'm not just talking about a selection of stories, I'm talking about the Old Testament stories, I feel I can use that expression, in the context of the way that they are understood and taught by our sages. I think that the overarching message that comes from that is that we should do what is right and godly. And there are clearly differences between different faith traditions about what is right and godly. But the concept, I think, is broad and noble. And I think it is one which leads to cohesion if we apply it with critical analysis. The Bible isn't just its stories, but within the stories we have a strong idea, and within the legislation, we have a strong idea of divine imperative. We are supposed to conduct our lives according to certain ideals. The stories present instances where people do it right and people do it wrong. We have ideas of evaluation and judgment. God makes judgment calls from the very beginning of creation where he says it is good and when he looks at loneliness and says it is not good. And there are ideals which we see as right and wrong that come through the stories and the legislation. And unlike other principles, I believe they come from a higher power. They are imperatives that demand that I act in a certain way. The bad news is I don't always want to act in the way that those imperatives demand. It challenges me constantly. I don't think that challenge is a bad thing. I believe that the institution of free will and the fact that we are not just spiritual marionettes gives us a responsibility sometimes to ask the difficult questions. This is what I understand God wants of me, and this is what I seem to want of me at this moment, and to try and to balance those in my lives. And sometimes that will lead to me doing and making a judgment call that I think is right for me at the time, which isn't necessarily the one that God or my rabbinic teachers would say would be right for them or right absolutely. But within that, I believe that is the exercise of free will, which is a good thing. It calls me to accept the concept of authority, but constantly to question the value of that authority. And certainly to believe also that when I do question or act inconsistently with authority, 
that I am accountable for it. I don't believe that the, the decisions I make to, uh, you know, whether it would, would be to go to McDonald's and eat something non-kosher, which I haven't done, um, or to violate the Sabbath, also not done for a very long time. I grew up in, I grew up in a non-Orthodox environment. I have eaten at McDonald's. I have broken the Sabbath. I, and I have I've made decisions in my life to change. But, but, but recognizing that I am accountable for my decisions actually makes me value myself and others around. Not acting blindly, um, I think, makes me consider things from my own interest, but also the vantage point of others. So religion informs, it's actually an imperative, it demands, but at the same time, critical analysis of it is essential to understand it properly. The Bible itself and the written law engage in critical analysis. And I think that's how it edifies me within a community and through extension, if we are all doing it, and even if we're all doing it through our own faith um, um, literature, um, will edify the community as a whole. Thank you very much. And Amy? <coughs> There's a reason that 1944 Act, the Butler Act, made religious studies or religious education mandatory in the curriculum and indeed the daily act of collective worship though that has fallen by the wayside in many schools and that's because he understood then in that post-war era that religion has a cohesive force and the fonds et origo of religion in that particular era christianity was of course the bible in particular the new testament now here we are in this era through decades of mass immigration. It seems to me common sense that you need to inculcate an awareness in students of the Guru Granth Sahib, um, the Torah, uh, the, Guru, the Guru Granth Sahib, the, the Upanishads, um, the Quran. All of these sacred texts aren't simply books. They're not just stories about world cultures or ethnic groups or communities in the world. They, they're fundamentally telling us where their values come from, where morality comes from, where, if you like, the revelation of their gods, their sense of goodness comes from. So it seems to me that the value, if any, of teaching religious texts in schools is to dispel ignorance fundamentally, if we are to live together, if our communities are to live in harmony, if we are to understand where each other comes from, instead of just simply looking at the colour of a skin or the, the sign outside of a school, we need to understand something of what we believe, uh, why we go to a mosque, why we go to a church, or why we go to a synagogue, uh, because that, to me, is a fundamental mission of education. Thank you very much, Adrian. And uh, Richie. Thanks. Uh, well, so the title of this debate is Sacred Text, Optional, Extra or Fundamental Necessity. And I don't think anybody on this panel is going to say that they're an optional extra. Um, I think the difference will be uh, why uh, people think uh, they're necessary. So uh, we've already heard a number of people put forward uh, religious moral reasons. I think the reasons I would give were, would be um, it's important to understand uh, beliefs that other individuals in society and other communities so deeply hold. Um, that understanding is necessary not just in terms of understanding uh, 
individuals and communities, but how society looks as a whole. Um, it therefore has a very important role in building community cohesion. Um, and it's also got an important role um, not just in this country but throughout the world in terms of um, its contribution to literature, its understanding of um, history, how we got to where we are now and even uh, in, in many ways um, our national culture. Um, and it following on from all those justifications, it's very important as Adrian just said um, that we um, have an uh, understanding of the diversity of religious texts, not just the Bible um, as would have been the case in the past, but um, all the major religious texts as in the, and indeed all the major religions and uh, non-religious beliefs as well. Um, with, you know, with the GCSE uh, criteria at the moment uh, suggesting that you shouldn't be able to systematically study humanism, I think that's a particularly topical um, point. Um, so what I wouldn't say though um, is that I don't think there are any particular uh, religious motives um, for schools um, to teach them. I think it's important, of course, for children to be able to um, come to their own worldview and uh, form their own understanding, but I wouldn't say that schools should be promoting particular religions like faith schools do. Um, I don't think religious texts have a particularly moral high ground. I think that there are other um, texts and sources um, that um, may, might have uh, better moral messages. Some uh, messages in all religious texts um, can be uh, problematic. Um, I, I also think that uh, it's important to remember that uh, many religious people themselves um, often ignore um, their religious texts in informing their own morality and in the decisions they make. Um, so we need to look at, at this issue in the round and, and, and be aware of all of those factors. But certainly, yes, there is a place for uh, studying religious texts in the curriculum, I think. Thank you very much indeed. And finally, Farish. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Um, I would like to propose um, three reasons why I think it is important and worthwhile to have these texts in schools. One which has been echoed earlier as well, the broad cultural and historical values of these texts. Um, and by that, I mean not just the moral value, but also artistic value, um, architectural value, political value that these texts have in human history. I think it is part of being an educated person today that one knows the role these texts have played in, in human history. The second reason I would suggest that these texts should be essential is what I would call critical religious literacy. Not just religious literacy, but critical religious literacy. And by, by that, I mean an ability to understand the complex possibilities of these texts. Because these texts are, they don't have meaning in themselves. The meaning is given in the interaction between the reader and the texts. And each of these texts have multiple possibilities, multiple meanings that we have seen in history. And I think it is important that students understand the possibilities, which some of them are very inspiring, morally very beautiful, but also some of the possibilities that are not very morally inspiring and beautiful. And they should be able to negotiate the different possibilities that are available. That's what I call critical religious literacy. And finally, I have so far avoided the word sacred text because I personally think the way these texts should be presented is not as sacred texts but as scriptures. And here I go to a work called What is Scripture by a famous historian of religions, W.C. Smith, uh, Wilford Carnival Smith, and he says, 
that there are at least three characteristics of scriptures. One, that these are extraordinary books for those who believe in them. They have extraordinary devotion towards them. They're not like any other book. Second, that these books refer to transcendence, something beyond human beings in human life. But thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, these books play a role in the creation of communities. They have around them communities. And the meanings are formed and reformed through these interactions between communities and the text. And I think that is very important that the children should understand how these texts actually play a role in society. Not absolutely just given these are the roles, but the continuous process through which the roles are played and created through human agency. So I would give these three reasons for having these texts as essential texts in schools. Thank you very much to our panel for five really thought-provoking and uh, in-depth quality answers there. Um, I'm going to move straight on, if I can, to the, the next question. Um, we, we have a, a, a number of questions still to get through, so uh, having um, given the panel an opportunity to uh, introduce their thoughts, um, perhaps for the next set of questions, uh, slightly briefer <laughs> answers would be appreciated so we can get through, but no, that's no criticism of, uh, of our, our starting responses. So. Um, my, my next question really relates to the other side of the coin um, uh, and uh, just to set it in context, um, research has recently shown that while two in three students think it is important to know about different religions, a number of them have a negative view of those who are religious or from a different religion to them. 7% of students class them as dangerous, 13% would class them as old-fashioned and more than one in ten would class them as weird. And so the question to the panel, and uh, I'm going to start with Jeremy this time, uh, is what are the consequences for not teaching sacred or scriptural or religious texts um, as part of the curriculum in terms of community cohesion and cross-cultural understanding? <coughs> Jeremy. If you want a really brief answer, the uh, two words that spring to mind are number one, ignorance, and number two, bliss. Um, the, 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 the bliss I will take very quickly, and, and that is when religion and religious stories are badly taught, they can do terrible, terrible damage. And the last two speakers <laughs> address that eloquently from different perspectives. Where religion and religious stories are well taught, I think they provide building blocks for understanding of the world. At a cultural level, it's impossible to look at literature, architecture, design without... You can't understand it without understanding the Bible. I, I, I love Shakespeare, and you need to understand a fair amount of Bible, a good measure of revised English history, and certainly a, 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 you know, a fair smattering of Greek mythology to get it. But if it comes to art, architecture, music, religious themes are really important. You can't read William Blake without a knowledge of the New Testament, and it's important to have that. You know, even if I'm Jewish and don't respect the New Testament as a religious text, you, you, it's just ignorant to, 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 to lack that. And moving from just the cultural ignorance, 
So many ideas that we have are based on religious stories and principles. The terminology of priesthood, um, not casting stones, the ideas of uh, not putting a stumbling block before the blind, points of reference like a good Samaritan, um, terms which misapplied can cause hurt like um, Old Testament values or bringing the mountain to Muhammad. You know, unless you understand where these where the language comes from and the concepts that lie behind them, you don't have the building blocks with which to relate to people of other cultures and to appreciate their value. It was exciting for me to learn that the Islamic community has a concept of haram, of prohibited foods, prohibited conduct in the same way as the Jewish community has it. Um, and similarly, that in the Maori community, there are strong ideas of tapu, which is effectively taboo, again, religiously motivated. Unless you understand the background narratives to them, the strength of conviction in which they are held, and the fact that they really mean things to the people who come from that background, even if they're not religious practitioners today, but they're just part of their overarching framework by which they live their lives, you have a much poorer world and a world where the ignorance can be damaging, lead to faux pas, and also the demonization of individuals through ignorance. So strongly believe that ignorance and bliss would be two consequences of not teaching religion. Thank you very much. And uh, now Adrian. I, I could also answer this question in two words. Um, but but I, I will then have to expand possibly uh, as much as you have. Um, and the two words I would choose are Trojan horse. Let me expand on this, because it was the Archbishop of Canterbury who said last week that Trojan horse is the elephant in the room. And he's a very clever man, I have a long time for, for Justin Welby. And, and you're probably wondering why I'm choosing this as an example for answering the question, what is the consequences of not teaching sacred texts, when probably most of you associate it with teaching texts. And the reason is that if you have got sacred texts that are not taught in schools, you have students who do not understand. They then become teachers who do not understand, and you get the whole thing propagated down the generations. If you have a warped perception of texts, or a poor grasp of texts, or no grasp of a text, then you can't understand fully where other religions and cultures are coming from. I would say all, that this applies to state schools, secular schools, as well as, as, well as faith schools, that the, the consequences of not teaching sacred texts is fundamentally an ignorance about how, I don't know, is it 60, 70, 80% of the nation formulates its sense not only of right and wrong, but also good and evil. We need to understand, therefore, that when you see this, this phrase in the news about students being inculcated with a certain view of the Quran and girls made to sit at the back because this is in the Quran or you must wear your hijab because it is in the Quran, I say, well, actually, Show me. Show me in the Quran where this is set down. And of course they can't. And it comes ultimately from a sense of an ignorance of a text. So 
So to me, it's a no-brainer. You, you, you teach sacred texts or, or scriptures in order to enlighten people with regard to what they really actually say. Thank you very much. Um, Richie? Um, yeah, well, I think I, I, I agree with much of that. Um, so, and I think we've said it all already, really. Um, I suppose, uh, I would again just emphasise that this is, of course, not the only... Um, the only route to um, to morality, I think that uh, that, uh, that there's no evidence to suggest that religious people are more moral than the non-religious. <coughs> in fact, I think uh, I don't know where you got your 60 to 80 percent figure came from, but I think that actually most people in the country today don't get, um, don't make decisions based on or purely based on a religious text by any means. Um, I had another point, but I've lost it. Uh, I think I'll probably leave it at that, and maybe I'll come back here. Thank you, <laughs> Farish. Yes, I think I, I would agree with almost all the points that were made, but I'll just add one to that. Because I think not interacting or not knowing these texts means that one misses out on a very powerful existential resource in human history. Existential questions are almost universally asked by human beings, particularly in modern societies. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why is there anything rather than nothing? And I think religious texts together have provided one very powerful intellectual resource through which an individual can grapple with these questions. And therefore, not knowing them is actually one misses out on that resource. But at the same time, I would say when you read biographies of so many powerful minds, one of the things that we find there uh, in many of these cases is that religion was often their first intellectual struggle. They struggled with religion. They might have rejected religion, but they've done it after struggling with it. And I think being ignorant of it, one also misses out a very important way in which one can grow intellectually by engaging with these ideas and concepts, even if one ends up rejecting them. So I think for these religious texts as existential and intellectual resources are missed out if they are not provided to students. Thank you very much. And finally, Nigel. I'm going to answer this question then really from a, what I see as a, a biblical worldview. That's what uh, my experience is in terms of being involved in the Christian schools uh, movement. Uh, and keep, uh, Key concepts for us would be, in terms of relating to people from other uh, faith communities, would be respect and seeking to to care, show hospitality. Uh, I wanted to pick up on a, a point that Farid made. Uh, I liked his use of the word scriptures. I think that's helpful. I think sacred text sounds a bit dry and dusty. And, and one thing he said was um, they have around them communities and. That's, that's so, so important that it's, it's the people and it's the connection between the people and the scriptures that we, that we want to be looking at. So from a Christian school point of view, we're considering Islam. We want to be thinking about the people around that, that uh, respect the Quran and base things upon the Quran and, and that community and how that relates. And that, that would be the focus, I think, that we would want to give. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, again, for... Um
scintillating responses and uh, so much to think about. But we must move swiftly on now to um, our, our next question, which relates to uh, the role of sacred text or scriptures in the school curriculum. And can I say how um, wonderful it is to have uh, so many young people here in the audience uh, and tell us which school you are from? Greenfield. Greenfield. Greenford. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming this evening. Um, so the role of uh, scriptures in the school curriculum. Teachers say there is a role for the school classroom in addressing negative opinions and that it should not be restricted to traditional RE classes. Half of teachers think there is a place for sacred texts in PSHE and citizenship. More than a quarter think they fit into history classes and one in ten think the same for English. So the questions are, should sacred texts or scriptures be taught as an essential part of the school curriculum? If so, how should they be incorporated into the wider curriculum? And should one sacred text or script, set of scriptures be taught or prioritised over others? And uh, I'm going to come to Adrian first for this one. It's not one, it's three. This is, <laughs> this is, this is three questions. Should sacred texts be taught as part of the curriculum? Um, that's a no-brainer for me and has been the case since 1944, but it didn't stay in 1944. Uh, Kenneth Baker reiterated this in 1988, and Tony Blair did the same in 2006. <coughs> this, has, this is not, not some, some post-war requirement in the curriculum. Religious education remains a discrete subject in the curriculum because all governments since 1944 have understood the importance of it, so the answer to that one is yes. If so, how should it be incorporated into the curriculum? That's a fascinating question because it comes down to how qualified your teachers are and having been in and this was a grammar school for a decade and I'm not kidding you when citizenship was introduced it was probably the most appallingly taught part of the curriculum um, not least because if you have a load of, of teachers coming over from Australia as we had or South South Africa um, as we had, and other parts of Europe, they didn't have a clue about aspects of our own legal system or parts of our culture that were a part of the syllabus uh, of citizenship. Um, I don't see how you can bung sacred texts into citizenship or PSHE when, frankly, those two are so crammed already <coughs> with gambling and sex education and everything else you have to cram into them, it becomes a bit of a nonsense. You end up paying lip service to too much and you almost begin to do damage to the importance of scriptures. So it should remain, to my mind, a discrete subject, though I have sympathies, many sympathies for Richard's view. Uh, it shouldn't necessarily be restricted to what we call scripture. I have a lot of time for lots of work of philosophy um, and I've got no problems at all with great philosophical works being considered alongside the Bible, the Torah, the Guru Granth Sahib, the Quran, the Hadiths, whatever. Um, the third question, should one sacred text be taught or prioritised over others? Well, hey, I'm a conservative and I happen to believe that parents are ultimately responsible for educating their children and inculcating values. 
As a conservative, I also happen to believe that parents have the right to be free to choose their a faith school if they wish for their children to be brought up and educated in a faith environment if they wish. Now that faith school must and should conform to the values of a liberal democracy. I have no problems at all with that stipulation, otherwise we lose a cohesive umbrella, the aegis under which we all seek to live. So when, when it comes to should one sacred text be taught, prioritised above others, the answer is yes, in accordance with the religious foundations, however far back it may go, of that school, provided that it is taught in accordance with the requirements and values of the liberal democratic state. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Richie, uh, you were mentioned there. Do you want to mm. respond to uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that sure. reference? Well, uh, A, should they be taught? I think um, we've got clear consensus that, they, that sacred text should be taught about. Um, if so, where? Well, um, I think that there is uh, a place for a subject in the curriculum that teaches about religions and beliefs. I think that's a fairly clear and distinct thing. Um, whether or not there should be a separate place for philosophy on the curriculum or whether uh, that should be part of the same subject is a, a more difficult debate. Um, but certainly religions and beliefs should play a prominent role in one subject. Um, in terms of PSHE, I think that there is some place for sacred text, perhaps in that sense. <coughs> so, for example, I remember working a few years ago on a publication with the Sex Education Forum called Sex, uh, called um, Religion, Belief, Sex and Relationships Education, um, that um, that did um, talk about different religious perspectives on issues such as abortion and contraception. Um, and so on. Although, again, I think that's a good example of where um, the views of uh, members of a particular religion might well be out of step with the view of the religious text in question. So, um, care is ob obviously needed. Um, nobody's really talked about assemblies yet. Um, I don't think there should be any uh, requirement uh, for, um, or indeed any collective worship in state-funded schools, um, whether of a religious character or not, and equally I don't think there should be any faith-based RE. Um, so no, I don't think one belief should be prioritised over the others, and I think um, that it is important um, for um, every young person to learn about uh, a, the range of religions and non-religious worldviews that that are common in society today. Faith schools do not have to teach about um, other uh, beliefs that they don't want to. Um, they often teach their own religion from a certain uncritical perspective that might not uh, reflect uh, the range of perspectives from individuals within that belief. Um, I don't think uh, it's particularly helpful for community cohesion to divide children up along the lines of single faith schools. Um, I also don't think it's that widely supported. If you look at surveys, then only 9% of parents will say that religion is an important factor when picking which children uh, to send their children, uh, which schools to send their children to. You know, that much things like um, the uh, quality of the school, um, the breadth of the curriculum, its location, where ch their children's friends are going and so on, are, are far more important, which obviously when compared to the fact that a third of state-funded schools are religious, suggests that we have an over-provision there, even if we are trying to meet parental demands. Um, and I do think that children have the right to form their own beliefs, uh, whether religious or otherwise. And, um, and 
Um, I don't think it's appropriate that state funds are spent on schools that doesn't uh, that don't afford children that opportunity. But then having said that, if there were uh, no state funded faith schools, then that wouldn't, of course, stop a parent from bringing up uh, their child uh, in line with their own faith in their own time, for example, if they're a Christian, by taking them to Sunday school every week. Thank you very much. And Farish. Thank you. Um, I think there is a consensus that they should be an essential part of the curriculum. Uh, what role should they play? I think um, they should perhaps be taught in a way that two, two objectives are fulfilled. One is that they are understood in themselves as scriptures. So there should be some place, most likely religious education, where the scriptures are explained and ex <clears throat> explored in themselves and their role in the society. But I think they may also have a role or place where in other subjects where they can help explain some other phenomena. For example, if one is talking about literature, uh, I would use the example of, of, of literature in Muslim societies. It is difficult to understand some seminal literary text in Muslim context without having some understanding of the way in which the Quran has been appropriated in those texts. Similarly, modern political history of Middle East uh, would be difficult to understand without having some understanding of the way the Quran is used as a legitimizing tool by certain quarters. So I would suggest that on the one hand, there should be place where it is understood in itself and, in, and secondly, it is used as an explanatory tool for some other ideas or concepts or themes that are being part of the curriculum. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Nigel, and then uh, we'll come to Jeremy. Uh, should one text be prioritised? Well, I would say yes. Uh, in my case, that's the Bible. Uh, and as someone who's been involved in the independent sector uh, for a number of years, we certainly cherish the freedom uh, as Christian independent schools that, that we have, where we can have an education uh, with a big biblical framework. Uh, the core vision of the school that I was a teacher of was to help parents pr provide Christ-centered education within a biblical framework. So, so what that meant was that it provided the underlying philosophy for the school, the, the worldview, the framework. Uh, the Bible would set the tone for the day uh, in assemblies through um, encouragement and admonishment occasionally. Um, in, in the praise and worship life, we would memorize the, the scriptures. Uh, you learn it so that you've got it when you need it later in life. We'd read the Bible, we'd study it uh, in many parts, well, all across the curriculum, really. What does the Bible say we'd be wanting to know uh, when we were studying something in geography or in biology? Um, part of our arts, part of our music, part of our drama. Um, as education is all about life, the things that are important um, are going to fill and characterize the school community. So for a Christian community with the Bible at the, at the center of it, uh, you're going to see a lot of the Bible. And um, in Deuteronomy, it talks about teaching the ways of God when you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. And that's what we seek to do. Thank you very much. And uh, Jeremy. So I think definitely religion should be taught within schools and religious texts should be taught in schools. I think they should be taught discreetly. It shouldn't just be teaching them on the same level as Aesop's fables. I think they are holier than that, and they ought to be given greater reverence than that. 
I also think it's fair to teach them and to have philosophical questions brought against them. I, I think you can't understand the Bible properly at a higher level without understanding, for example, Dawkins' objections to it. Um, you know, I like reading Dawkins, and I like Dawkins possibly almost as much as Dawkins likes Dawkins. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it's important to it's important to contextualise. I agree that um, the, the great challenge we have in teaching religious texts is having the religious teachers who are able to do it properly. And I think that provides the great handicap, and that's why I think faith-based schools are necessary for those who want to have. Um, religion taught at a higher and more proficient level, not just by practitioners, but by people who have the excellence and ability to convey it, which you won't necessarily get everywhere else. Um, I think, like other speakers have said, it's really important that uh, values of democracy and citizenship are taught in all schools, particularly um, in faith-based schools, to see that you know, we, we, we live in the beauty and the benefits of this country and need to subscribe to and understand some of its rock values. Um, and and, and, and they aren't, those aren't necessarily religious values, but they are ones which define us, and it's important that they're understood. Vis-a-vis um, -vis teaching just one text in schools, God forbid. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, that brings me to uh, my final question um, before we throw questions out to the audience. Uh, and this relates actually to this issue of, of teachers and their empowerment to teach um, sacred texts and scriptures um, and what the barriers are to teaching this in schools. How can these barriers be overcome? And just to set this in context, um, whilst uh, a lack of confidence is considered one of these barriers, um, one in five teachers are reluctant to teach more religious studies in case it's taught inadequately or incorrectly. One in five say they don't have enough training information or know-how, uh, and one in three secondary school teachers think the curriculum is not flexible enough to teach beyond what is needed for exams. Um, I think that's given us quite a lot uh, in answer to the, the question already, but um, Richie, can I turn to you and just ask you, what do you see as uh, the barriers to teaching sacred texts in schools and how can these barriers be overcome? Sure, I think I have three points. The first is uh, that I think there needs to be more specialist teachers in religious education. So if you compare RE to other subjects, uh, a lower proportion of the teachers are specialists. I heard um, last week about one school where they have 17 different people teaching RE, so sometimes it's seen as a bit of a, a job share in the same way, unfortunately, as subjects like PSHE and citizenship. Um, and it's good news regarding the bursaries on that front, but really I think we need to get the proportion up to be equivalent to other subjects. The second point, which is a slightly cyclical one, uh, but I'll explain uh, what, uh, how this will be achieved is that there needs to be better RE um, and I'm, by that I mean there should be a better curriculum, there should be a nationalised uh, curriculum uh, certainly outside of faith schools for uh, religious education because unfortunately um, the uh, while sacres play a valuable role in overseeing RE perhaps, the locally agreed syllabuses vary far too much in terms of their quality, um, some of them uh, are very badly written um, some of them focus, um, say, just on Christianity to too much uh, an extent. Some of them um, promote uh, faith as a virtue, um, which is problematic for non-religious people. Um, some of them exclude <coughs> non-religious beliefs entirely, although most of them now include non-religious beliefs. Um, the Sacre I'm on is just about to review its agreed syllabus, um, and 
Um, I'm glad that it's doing so because while the national curriculum is 240 pages long, the agreed syllabus is 860 pages. So I think there's clearly a need to make it a bit shorter too. Um, and then I guess my final point following on from that, you know, and then if we did have better, a better syllabus and that would uh, not only improve the quality of what children, uh, the education children receive and make uh, teachers more confident um, in, in what they're teaching, but also those children, when they in turn become teachers, will have had a better religious education, so it'll build off itself. Uh, but my final point is, um, the point I've already made, is that it's vital uh, that non-religious worldviews are included. Um, because if they're not included, um, if non-religious worldviews are not included equally to um, e each of the principal religions, then I think that the very large and growing proportion of students who are not religious will often switch off um, in RE, um, and they just won't feel that it has anything to say to them, so they'll completely disengage. And that's something that we hear from teachers, from students, from parents, time and time again. And um, so by including non-religious worldviews, not only would you uh, mean that all the benefits in terms of cohesion and so on that we've talked about are strengthened in terms of uh, religious students being able to appreciate non-religious perspectives, but equally those non-religious pupils and other pupils will be more engaged in the learning about religions as well. So I think it's, it, it would be good news all around, and I think that's why the current exclusion of uh, the systematic study of humanism <coughs> from GCSE religious studies is so regrettable. Thank you. Parish, yes. Um, I, I think the biggest barrier to the teaching of religion is that we try to teach religion. I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's take Islam as an example. You find so many textbooks which are titled Islam, and teachers would say we are trying to teach Islam. Well, I think you just can't teach Islam because Islam is not a phenomenon out there that you can touch or explore or examine. What you can teach is how people have understood Islam, or for that matter, any religion. Because religion as an abstract idea remains in the minds of people. And that is why you have many different ways in which people understand any particular religion. So I would say the barrier is really in trying to create an essentialized understanding of religion and then the questions that we find, what does Islam has to say about X or Y? Well, Islam doesn't have anything to say. It's Muslims who have to say. And in saying what they say, they draw upon <coughs> text, tradition, different kinds of things and interpret. And I think what we should therefore concentrate, in my view, is teach about Muslim cultures or people who have Islam as belief and explore what they mean by it, how they employ it, how they understand it, how they interpret it. And that's, way, that's the way in which students will get a sense of what Islam in its full capacity as a civilization, as a culture would come out. So I think the biggest barrier is our very conception of what religion is, uh, is, is needs to be rethought. Thank you. Nigel? Yes, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, really. Um, um, in terms of um, uh, the Christian schools that I'm thinking of, I said yes to, to prioritising the Bible, uh, but also we want to give a place for uh, a respectful consideration of other worldviews, and very keen to include the humanist worldview on a level with everything else. I see it equally as a faith position, so I think it, it's right that it should be um, considered uh, with other faith positions. Um, within our, the context of some of our schools being small, we're used to drawing in uh, staff resources from beyond the salaried members of staff. So, 
and being creative, I guess, finding people in the community to come in and share their experiences. Um, or it could be somebody who's uh, maybe someone involved with us who's been working with uh, that's the local Muslim community they come in and share with us. So I think there's a lot of creative ways that we can draw in wisdom and expertise beyond uh, training the, the teachers themselves. Thank you very much. And family journey. I think it was uh, Bertrand Russell who said he was a teacher of morality and ethics and not a practitioner, um, <laughs> and therefore shouldn't be expected to uh, <laughs> conduct himself appropriately. I think one of the big problems that you have with teachers of religion and teachers of Bible within the schools is that teachers enter teaching in order to teach and to teach many different subjects, but even if they're in schools to teach Bible doesn't necessarily mean that they are practitioners or believers in it. And in order to be able to elucidate the real beauty, unless somebody has an affinity with it, it's very difficult to, uh, to, to transmit that. So I think one of the great fears that teachers have when it comes to religious education is that they don't believe that they're equal to the task, I, either because they don't know the texts and they're not familiar with them, or they don't believe in them. Or third, that they just don't want to see themselves as role models in that respect. And we, we, we require teachers to be role models in very many respects. Um, and, and, and that is demanding on them, as well as just teaching their, uh, um, their core subject. But the idea that they should be role models of the Bible is to, is to impose a spiritual dimension on something which sits badly within schools in any case. It's very awkward when, when the, the tools for, by which you should be living your life become something on which you get a school report and are graded at the end of the year. Um, the Bible has been destroyed by being turned into an exam subject in many respects. Um, and I think that, uh, that, that it's teachers, the, the, the best people to teach it for exams are not necessarily the best people to teach it as an applied system of living. Thank you very much. And uh, I can see a number of the students are smiling at your last comment. Um, so um, now turning to the floor. Um, and opening up for the next few minutes for questions. Um, could I just um, ask you?